Welcome to the Recruitment Radio podcast. Um, this month is a very uh, a special end of year um, celebration from uh, live from the Lowry Hotel here in Manchester. Um, in my audience, I've got the uh, creme de la creme of the Northwest recruitment world, uh, successful uh, agency owners, managers, and suppliers into the industry. Say hello, guys, please. Okay, so the, the format of today's show um, is a, a special live podcast recording. I'm going to ask um, three guests, panelists, to share their insight on the um, recruitment um, technology for recruitment market. It's a very fast growing space. I think over the last 10 years, um, you've probably seen a lot of uh, traditional staffing only become a small proportion of the, of the total ecosystem now. Um, and I think within that, there are a lot of tech products um, that encompass all parts of the workforce solutions, such as uh, payroll and compliance. There's a uh, talent acquisition technology. There's um, assessment technology. There's video interviewing technology. There's process outsourcing technology. And I think for um, uh, recruitment agency leaders, um, it's quite overwhelming sometimes to to, to really try and um, navigate through all that complexity and, and you know choose the right products. Um, and yet at the same time, I think there's a massive opportunity. Um, for those that, that can uh, integrate the right tech products to really differentiate themselves in the market, to improve their services, um, become more efficient and actually um, deliver um, some, some decent um, digits on the, on the bottom line. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be asking um, some of the panelists today to share, share their insights. Um, we're also going to be talking a bit of music as well. Um, and I've asked each of the panelists to select a track um, that they feel represents um, their year in business. And they're going to tell a little bit of story um, about why that was. Um, and then at the end of each track, I'm going to get you, the audience, to decide whether you like that track or not. Okay. Um, that's kind of quite a real life DJ situation. You, you, you're either going to rock the dance floor or you're going to bomb it, right? Um, please don't take offense, panelists. It's, music is subjective. So, uh, um, but, but ultimately, yeah, at the end of each track, I'll ask you to vote. Put your hand up and make some noise if you would like to see it on the monthly uh, playlist. Um, or obviously stay quiet if you wouldn't. Everyone clear on that, right? Um, so... Um, Without further ado, I'll introduce my first guest, um, EJ Flynn. Welcome to Recruitment Radio. Hello. Um, so uh, a bit of background uh, on you. you. You spent your early career in, in sales uh, and sales management for the IT Job Board um, and spent the last seven years growing one of the largest communities for founders and CEOs of high growth businesses as a managing director for the Supper Club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're still involved with that club, but you've also recently joined uh, the founding team at WorkFinder, which is a platform that facilitates work experience placements, right? Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to start by telling us just a little bit more about WorkFinder? Presumably that's aimed at the student market? Yeah, so the whole idea of WorkFinder was essentially to democratise work experience because the whole process is a bit broken in our country. And uh, linked with that is that we've been talking about it earlier today, but there's a real skills crisis that 
scaling businesses are facing um, and there's not enough skill, skilled individuals out there. So WorkFinder's whole premise is the aim is to eradicate that skills crisis by mobilizing untapped talent. And we believe initially we can start that by looking at young people, so 16 to sort of 24, 25 year olds and helping them to get valuable work experience. And also the platform is aimed at businesses, um, helping them to make work experience valuable for them as well, not just someone turning up and, you know, watching someone do a job, but actually adding value and also easy for them as well, because it, it can be quite hard to think about how do I make work experience and internships work for me. Presumably that's scalable um, from the kind of student demographic, though, up into maybe, you know, cross-skilling other parts of the, the you know, the population, right? Absolutely. So if you look at, um, you know, the world of technology, the joy of technology is it's making jobs simpler, but there is a whole risk of we're getting rid of jobs. You know, apparently the robots are going to take over. Um, and... There's a lot of people who are sort of maybe 20, 30 years in their career who risk having their job wiped out. So if you're in your 40s and you've suddenly got to upskill or learn a new skill, where best to do that and getting work experience. But they've got a huge amount of experience and talent and energy themselves. So you can use that in your business and it's finding the right methodology to do, do that. There's a whole piece around back to work mums and getting experience. There's a whole piece about veterans and, and sports people. I mean, people have been talking about that for years as well, getting sports people. So the, 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 the vision is huge. We've got a lot to do. Um, so I'm really excited about, about what, it, what it can lead to. You've just given them um, a little bit of a presentation on um, growth mindset and entrepreneurialism. Um, very quickly and succinctly, just describe what is a, an entrepreneurial growth mindset. So the idea of a growth mindset was first coined in the early 90s by a lady called Dr. Carol Dweck. And her definition of it is that um, human attributes and skills are malleable. So you can keep growing and learning and that your your um, your characteristics are not fixed. You, you, so you, you spent a lot of time, obviously, as MD of uh, the Supper Club, which is running events much like these, but lots of networking events being around high performance individuals, um, right across sectors, et cetera. Uh, and obviously, you know, that's, that's constant uh, contact with entrepreneurs. If we're talking about adopting technology uh, successfully to help scale a business or grow a business, um, what comments would you have on how an entrepreneurial mindset could either um, hinder or really help the successful integration of technology if that makes sense yeah absolutely so a couple of points on that so first of all um and we were talking about it earlier um in a, in a small group over here is that you as an individual by the nature of entrepreneurs you tend to have a growth mindset because you're looking to solve problems you're always learning but that's great if you have it um, you're out meeting people, coming to networking events, reading books, listening to podcasts. Um, but how do you instill that in the rest of your team and build a vision and a culture and habits and systems and processes, which is a real challenge for most business leaders because they're like, how do I get my team to believe this? And um, the idea of no one else is going to care as much about your business as you do. You cannot expect them to. It's not their business. So it's better to have them 80% of the time rather than 100% of you 20% of the time. So trying to build that vision, systems, process, and then role modeling it is, is one point. The second point of it is um, I've definitely seen when you're moving from, it's the biggest challenge when you're moving from a service-led business 
and leader to a product-led business. And if that product is tech, so you're going from sales, maybe sales and marketing. Recruitment services or exactly. service-based selling Exactly. To- so selling a service in your time and your abilities as a person to actually building a tech team, whole different kettle of fish. So that the whole system, you know, suddenly agile working, you ha- how, do you, how do you get your ideas into a point where a developer can actually build it? They need very specifics. Motivating tech people is, is a very different um, challenge. Um, and so you have to think about all of that. And then also the idea of a minimal viable product. Entrepreneurs tend to be very specific and um, very exact in what they want. And actually sometimes that can really hinder um, people's growth is trying to make perfection rather than just getting something out. And we talked about um, failing forward and just constantly learning and iterating and constant improvement rather than having the perfect thing. And the world moves way too fast trying to get the perfect thing. Um, so making sure you do that and not entrepreneurs can, can get in their own way um, by only being their way and not listening to anyone else. I've got that vision of kind of a, like an, an MD excited about this new kind of tech product and, and then, you know, just, giving it to their team and you know telling them that this is the next best thing etc and then very suddenly moving on to the next thing you know the next new shiny kind of technology product and obviously in the wake of all that there's uh there's staff that you know trying to swim in all this slush you know um so I, i just kind of thought from from your perspective um having been around um entrepreneurs in both the recruitment space and non-recruitment space what what can the recruitment industry learn from um other sectors in your opinion wow okay um so i think um and i definitely don't want to offend anyone here today um so i think you can do that that's fine okay cool um is what i've observed is the recruitment industry can end up being quite interior looking so you're looking at other recruitment industry or other recruitment businesses and comparing yourselves against them like especially if you're um well, well what i've seen people do especially is looking outside your industry not looking at your competitors because anyways you'll just iterate on what they're doing why not just break the mold having a growth mindset which you're talking about is just how do we break it how do we zero base how do we start again and, and look at a different way of doing it so that that's definitely one thing um the second thing like recruitment industry um, entrepreneurs have amazing strengths. Um, huge, sort of broad brush here, incredibly charismatic, incredibly great, good salespeople can build teams, can motivate teams. That's what they're amazing at. Um, and then you've got other um, industries where they're incredibly good at product and detail and looking at the technology side of it. And I was talking to someone else that you'll speak on the panel um, later today who's managed to combine their sales skills with getting a non-executive or an advisor who's got more technical skills and learning that way. So I think where um, entrepreneur, uh, rec entrepreneurs um, can really, really um, gain strength is getting non-executives or advisors that are from other industries or going to other industry events and just learning, absorbing by osmosis as well. Great advice. Um, you actually said to start with, um, some, as, as in model and track other companies that aren't just recruitment companies. If we were to break that down and make it very practical for within recruitment, then how would you even pitch yourself against a different industry, if you like? What what, what kind of like industries would you mean? Have you, have you actually got any real life examples of how that might, you know, look, where do you start basically? You've got this massive, apart from recruitment, you've got all these other areas. 
who do I choose to pitch myself against? Okay, so I'm going to use one which I'm sure you all know, and it may not be the best example, but WeWork. Um, they kept pitching themselves as a tech company. We're a tech business, tech business, tech business. Their serviced office space, right? Um, and but they kept and everyone bought i mean everyone really bought into the fact that they're a tech business and that has served them incredibly well i mean there's obviously a load of other challenges with that business but if you go actually i'm not in recruitment i'm not in the recruitment space i just happen to sell to recruitment consultants or i sell a product that serves a recruitment need i'm a technology company then you start looking at technology businesses and then you look at how do they do it? How do their teams build? How do they, and, and then you can start looking at it. So I think it's what, what you position your company as. And also technology companies have much higher multiples than uh, service-based people businesses. So that also helps if you're looking to exit it. So I'm told. Yeah. Um, I, um, so final question for me before we talk a bit more music, actually. Um, and again, it's not necessarily technology related, but more to do with entrepreneurialism. Often an entrepreneur as a founder starts a business um, and, you know, believes in themselves, obviously quite a lot, makes quite quick decisions. There's quite a, le a high level of innovation, a high willingness to make wrong decisions as well. And then obviously is successful and the scaling that happens. And there's extra responsibility that comes in in terms of people and resources, you know, and, and off, often the, there's, there's, it kind of stifles that original innovation, that original entrepreneurialism. Is there any tips or insights you can share about how you can still, uh, even with the additional responsibilities, really keep the fire of innovation alive? It's that whole like, creating a culture of innovation. It's a big challenge that I hear so often as as entrepreneurs and businesses scale as you don't end up, want to end up being bureaucratic. It's a really good book that I'm actually listening to as a um, audible book and it's Measure What Matters. And it's talking about um, Intel um, and how Intel um, became such a dominant player in the 1970s and 80s, how they crushed um, and they even called it Operation Crush um, against Motorola. And they use, uh, I mentioned earlier, OKRs, um, which has become very popular with Google, and especially if you're running a tech company. I don't know many tech companies now that don't use OKRs. Just explain OKRs. An OKR is what's called objective and key results. So it's what's the key objective that we're going to work towards in the next six weeks, probably if you're a startup or three months, um, if you're or if you're slightly bigger. Um, and what are the key results we're going to measure against uh, ourselves? against as success for that objective and what it allows is a very quick um uh, kind of mobilization of your team around a key objective and then what it does is disseminate that decision making down to individuals just to make that just make it happen okay here's Got the objective that. here's the key results so that speed of speed of innovation um and and going back to the kind of growth mindset culture of innovation is is you've got to right have the right culture and allow people to innovate and then build systems and processes to allow that to happen. how do you how do you get that so how, how do you create the right culture that that effectively allows for innovation so there can be mechanisms so google have um you know one day a week you're allowed to go and play and bring ideas um others it's you're allowed to um, propose ideas and it's a a bottom-up approach rather than a top-down approach so it's um more everyone rather than a uh not it's more democratic rather than autocratic um and a lot of entrepreneurial businesses you have a really amazing charismatic smart leader but that only gets you so far 
Not in my so, business. Not in your business. No charismatic. No. Okay, cool. Good to know. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, but then actually disseminating that and actually trying to get, because, you know, young, you know, Gen Z coming in who are 20, so tech native, they're going to have so many ideas. How do you get that out of your business? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on to a bit of music. Um, in fact, before we did that, I, I think I asked you for um, to, to name a track that you had your first meaningful kiss to, of which, of which, you actually said you, you couldn't remember at all. Um, which to me was like, oh, okay, she's either being a bit coy or shy, or there was a lot of kissing going on back then, and you can't really remember at all. Either way, just just so you know, I was genuine with it. I'll share you. Um, I don't know if it was my first kiss, but certainly one I, I remember to uh, Gabrielle. Dreams, if you remember, you know, Gabrielle. Um, I think I was on a park bench having drunk half a bottle of Thunderbirds at the time. Um, so there you go. Anyway, I'll settle for, um, I'll settle for, the, um, you recently got married, I understand. So I'll settle for the track that you had at your wedding because I think that's a big, um, a, a big emotional moment, right? Yeah. So just on the first kiss moment, I can remember the first kiss. I was in a cupboard, classy. Wow at the back of our French classroom when I was 13 years old. It was not romantic. It was not, oh, anyway. You've answered the question. There was obviously no music there, There was right? no music yeah, in right. whatsoever. Anyway, uh, moving on to my marriage day. Um, uh, our first song, it was last December 22nd, and um, it was a song actually I'd never heard of until my husband said, we have to have this first dance tune. And it was a Bond theme tune. So he's like, I have to have our first dance to Bond. And it was Nobody Does It Better. Tune. Thank you, by Carly Simon. And I was like, I've never heard this in my life. Um, and we danced around the house to it. And yeah, it's all very romantic. And so it's actually a very brilliant song. So if you haven't heard of it, listen to it. And when, we, when it came on for our first tune, there was a lot of, ugh, because everyone knew he had to dance to a Bond theme tune because he loves Bond. Brilliant. Great story. Um, so the the key theme for today is, is a kind of end of year celebration. And I asked you to choose a track that represented your year in business. Um, so please, can you intro the track and tell the audience as well why you chose it? So my track is, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of like ready faces. My, my track is Katy Perry, Raw. You know that song? Oh, oh, yeah, no, it's a great song. Yes? Let, let, let's hear it, let's hear it, please. Bite my tongue and hold my breath. Scared to rock the boat and make a mess. So I said quietly, agreed politely. I guess that I forgot I had a choice. I let you push me past the breaking point. I stood for nothing. So I fell for everything. You held me down, but I got up. Already pushing off. Shake 
Katy Perry with Raw released in 2003. Uh, believe it or not, the video of which on YouTube is the 10th most watched video, YouTube video of all time in history with a staggering 2.95 billion views. Um, so um, just going to ask the room, hands up if uh, that was your cup of tea. No. Want it in the playlist? <laughs> I've... Uh, I think that's a resounding um, no on that one. Fair enough. Next guest is um, Steve Beckett, founder of Sourcebreaker. Uh, welcome to Recruitment Radio, Steve. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Um, so a bit of background on you. Having spent six years at the S3 Group, um, you took the leap to set up your technology business in 2014. Fast forward five years, Sourcebreaker is one of the, uh, I'd say, the shining success stories of the uh, tech rec space. How many rounds of investment have you had so far? So we've had three uh, angel rounds to this point. Okay. Yeah. Um, a team of over 60 uh, in the Shard in London. Woo! Previously in the Shard, now in a um, massively over-engineered WeWork office. Okay. All right. Did you get a good deal on it? Um, I mean, in our minds, yes, but probably not. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um You've got 6,000 end users or recruiters of your, of your product, right? Yep. Um, including, no doubt, um, some customers in the room here as well. Um, Steve said his main focus at Sourcebreak is driving innovation, attracting and interviewing new staff, and maintaining a high-performance culture. That sounds about right. Okay. Could you tell the story, really, of how Sourcebreaker came to be, including the, the, the spreadsheet, you know, the spreadsheet story, basically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. But um, so yeah, as you mentioned, I spent six years at the S3 group left as most people tend to do to set up my own recruitment company. Had a six month non-compete. I think I was probably the first person in history to try and honor that. Um, but I actually decided to, during that six month period to, um, to do uh, a few things that would differentiate me. So I took a couple of IT qualifications and I have an unhealthy love of spreadsheets that, yeah, is not interesting to anyone other than me, particularly my wife. She hates talking about spreadsheets, weirdly. Um, but anyway, so I started building some search tools on spreadsheets. And um, the idea was I'd give them to in-house recruiters. Um, they would use them. They'd see my company logo and everything like that. And then when they weren't able to find candidates, they would you know, hopefully use the company that's given them some free value. So that was the idea behind it as a bit of a lost leader. I put it up on LinkedIn, I had a link to it on the website to say, you know, um, put in your details and download this tool. Uh, and it just went nuts overnight. People at JP Morgan, eBay, Google, Salesforce all started using this um, free spreadsheet tool. Um, so I thought, why don't I set up a tech company? Could be interesting. As EJ mentioned, the multiples on tech are pretty good. Yeah, off we went to set up a tech company off the back of a spreadsheet and no clue how to set up a tech company. So uh, what, what problems does your platform solve um, from recruiters perspective? Yeah. So for us, having been recruiters, everything's geared towards helping recruiters spend more time doing what you guys pay, you know, your teams a huge amount of money to do. Let's get on the phone and talk to people. Nobody ever interviews a recruiter and grills them about their ability to create searches and trawl the internet for information. So, um, Sourcebreaker, the benefit it adds, it helps people find candidates they otherwise wouldn't and find them much faster. Then the click of a button, it matches them to live vacancies that are being hired for at the moment by employers. So it gives recruiters multiple opportunities to place every single candidate they find and saves them about an hour to two hours a day in the, in the process. From my understanding of uh, tech platforms, when you obviously raise a substantial amount of money to, to grow the, um, the overall uh, 
recurring revenue, you also spend a lot on engineering uh, and and development of the product. So um, bearing in mind, you've probably got some customers in the room, um, you know, what are you spending your money on in engineering? How are you developing the product so that make sure it's it's fit for for, for the future and can continue to grow in the in the manner it has been? Yeah, sure. So for us, we will always be incredibly ambitious in terms of what we do. We're, we're proud of the growth we've had over the last few years, and we want to maintain that growth as well. So stop selling it, um, Steve. Pardon? Stop selling it. Sorry. Steve. Yeah. Um, so we're spending in the next twelve months. Um, it's impossible not to uh, over two million quid on uh, research and development. So we've got some very clever data scientists who I don't. Really really understand what they do but it adds a lot of value to the company um and um yeah they're building a lot more automation within the platform um so automatically matching candidates to jobs is a big thing that we're bringing through and trying to automate each step of the process from a recruiter having a job requisition to actually the candidates then being presented in front of the recruiter in front of the hiring manager so automating all the way through um trying to say this without selling it but yeah that, that makes a lot of sense i actually when there's so many different products in the marketplace to get mm -hmm. one seamless flow of, of basically what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's the Nirvana that I think everyone's looking to get to. Mm -hmm. um, Adidas kind of have made their, their mark obviously on, on the uh, leisure clothing brand industry by, you know, over the years bringing back some of the uh, kind of older elements into like retro style, right? Are you going to be launching the Excel spreadsheet version <laughs> of uh, Sourcebreaker onto the market, you know, maybe in a few years, like retro style? So um, as tempting as that is, weirdly, our investors don't get that excited about the prospect of investing in spreadsheets um, as much as I'm still excited by it. And um, I still get people come up to me now saying, oh, you did this this market mapper thing where you could like, find hundreds of companies. Do you guys still do that? It's this brilliant spreadsheet. We're like, no, 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 we don't do that. And you see their face drop and show them this like shiny, brilliant bit of, bit of SaaS technology and they're like yeah I really like that spreadsheet that did the market mapping and they're kind of like buy this stuff this is good um so yeah I'd love to but um if I went to the board meeting and said to our investors look at this spreadsheet we're releasing um I don't think I'd be long in my job so fair enough um you said your role's driving innovation and um in all seriousness you've, you've mm -hmm. done a terrific job of uh, scaling that Thanks business so. um so I'm interested to know what tech products have been helpful to to you mm -hmm. and your team, CEO of a tech company. You've got to be mm -hmm. pretty uh, pretty good with tech products, always trialing them out. And um, yeah, just which ones have been useful for today's business leader that that, that they might not um, already have on their radar. Yeah, sure. So a couple of ones that we use that I think are applicable, not just for tech companies, but across the board. Um, so just to develop on what EJ was saying about OKRs. So there's a number of systems online now that allow you to do all of your OKRs via yeah via a platform so we use one called 155 um it's brilliant for tracking your OKR so tracking all your goals but one of the other things that the guys in the company absolutely love about it is it's got a high five system so what that allows people in the company to do is it prompts people to say you know give a bit of credit or a shout out to someone in the company who's done a really good bit of work um you know this week and so every week across the business across different departments you've got people saying you know shout out to Dan for helping me with this particular thing or that particular thing um, so it allows for recognition across the company, um, even with people who don't work with each other day to day. Which is one of the most powerful motivators yeah, massive, intrinsically like, within human nature anyway, right? Absolutely. And then us as a leadership team, we'll go through and like every like and read every single comment. So people are getting recognized by their peers every single week and that's being seen by the leadership team. Um, so I'd say that is a fantastic tool that is core to what we do. Any and then another one's actually a bit of a shout out to the Power Hive is something that I found from coming to uh, to these events. So there's a system um, that Matt Wilden at Renkai um, 
uh, that uses for employee engagement. Um, so it's called Engagement Multiplier. Uh, and Matt has been phenomenal working with us to get that built into our business. We've been able to introduce a huge number of um, improvements to our company, things that people weren't necessarily mentioning to us that we could then build in as part of our, our culture. We're very recently proud to say that we've been awarded um, the maximum score by the Sunday Times for um, best companies to work for. Um, and that is... You know, a, a key part of what we do is building our culture You're and selling again. Yeah, I'm selling their system. Um, is um, engagement multiplier? Um, yeah, has helped us understand how we can improve the company. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, mate. Um, how has tech? This is a bit of an open question here. How's how's tech changed the recruitment industry in your opinion? So, I think it's sped up how people can do things but i think the recruitment industry functions very very well the recruitment agency industry functions very well um as it does it's continuing to grow at great pace uh, there's now forty thousand ish agencies i think everybody talks about tech killing off agencies there's just no evidence of that happening whatsoever you sell exclusively to the rec global recruitment industry, so 99 right? and a bit percent of okay. our clients are recruitment agencies yeah absolutely um so job boards are going to kill agencies linkedin was going to kill agencies all this stuff's going to kill uh, agencies i think tech will continue to work in harmony with recruiters uh, the recruitment industry will continue to boom and continue to grow so i think tech has sped things up has allowed people to get to candidates faster find more of them um, engage quicker um but i think yeah the recruitment industry will continue to boom alongside tech rather than tech replacing recruiters A symbiotic marriage going forward then there's no exactly yeah where where, where are the threats there's there's agency owners obviously in the in the audience so yeah got to be thinking Tech, technology generally can be quite scary to some people, mm -hmm. also quite exciting, but yeah, depending on, on how you're orientated, but where are the threats? Do you see it? So I think at the lower end of the market, it's a lot easier to automate things where there's less qualification required from a job point of view and less qualification from a candidate point of view. So I think at the lower end of the market, um, you'll see a lot more automating out. I think at the skilled part of the market, technology is a long, long way away from being able to automate away recruiters. I think, you know, one of the things we do, I'm trying not to sell here, Dan, I don't want to get called out on it again, um, but it's jobs and candidates. So we can match a piece of paper with another piece of paper reasonably accurately. But as anybody who's done recruitment for a reasonable amount of time knows, the perfect candidate may in no way, shape or form match the bit of paper that they've been matched alongside. Um, so I think, yeah, at the lower end of the market, it's a lot easier to automate out, but at the higher end of the market, um, yeah, it will, you know, that will continue to, um, to be a benefit. I think what we're seeing is people just spending less and less time in jobs because of technology. If you look at LinkedIn, people just have way more opportunities put in front of them every single day than they ever did. That's not meant that recruiters are needed less. That's meant the recruitment market still continues to grow. People just, instead of spending four years in a job, spend two years in a job. So in effect, using the technology to, to, to get your position in front of those individuals for you to then engage with them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, last question before we move to uh, a, a bit of music. Um, your sales cycle will be approaching owner managers of recruitment companies. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially you engage with those owner managers. And um, I, this is probably a case study from, from myself as well. Um, often, you know, get the value. Wow, you know, this is a great product. I could, could really see how this is going to help, you know, the organization and help people's jobs be either better, faster, quicker, cheaper, you know. Um, so, but then there's this feeling of kind of, you know, slush on adoption, you know, 
people don't get it as well. You give it to the organization and the frustrations there that people are just not using the platform. Obviously, yeah. you only get a benefit from any technology platforms the more you use them. And not only that, but really tailor them to your organization and, and put that kind of time and effort in. So there's this constant battle, I think, for you know agency owners to get adoption, first of all, and also then meaningful ROI to come back. If, if you've you know, if, if you've got an approach whereby you're um, applying, um, uh, you know, a, a cost per head type model or a, an amount over a certain amount of heads, it can be quite low cost if you're dividing it by your entire sales staff. Mm. But if only 10% are using them, then it becomes a different proposition, which will then affect your kind of, you know, your, the engagement with, 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 with yourselves, et cetera. So my question is really around, um, yeah, ha- what tips do you have to better manage this process so that you know you can get better adoption and better ROI from some mm-hmm. of these platforms. Yes, I think following the vendor's process is absolutely critical. We know when, when our customer success managers walk into a customer to onboard them, they can tell when the recruiters walk into the room pretty much whether this is gonna go well and they're gonna get a return on investment from the product or they're not. It's literally as early as when they walk into the room and the looks on their faces when they walk in, because you have companies where the recruiters walk in and they're buzzing to be in this training session because they've heard there's this great product, you know, it doesn't matter who who or what product it is, but they've heard it's a great product, they're excited to hear about this product, excited how it's gonna improve them. But that, get, that buzz just wears off though, right? So how can you make it more meaningful and longer lasting? So you need to have the ongoing training with the vendor. So use them and lean on them as much as you possibly can to come in frequently because it's naturally a high turnover industry. So you might have some people who absolutely loved it and drove it within the company and they've since moved on. So you need to get the vendor into your company as frequently as you can and just keep pushing them to, to come in more and more. But also it's making sure that at all levels of the business, that it's being driven. So a company of your size, it's difficult for you to be there every single day hammering at home to people. So it's embedding that culture within your leadership team that any technology you're going to buy and you're in, you're going to invest in, they're responsible for making sure it's adopted and driven within the company. And what works really well is having incentives for leadership team, incentives for recruiters to be using and adopting the technology. So first person to do a particular thing on the technology or a team that adopts technology best gets a lunch club or something, whatever it might be. We're all salespeople. We're motivated by reward. Um, and so it's finding ways to reward people to make sure that it's adopted properly. Um, yeah, I would okay. say it's important. So, so leaning on the vendor to, to, to implement as much training and development as needed and, f- and follow up a customer success, I guess, the, the teams that you have. Yeah. Um, you said in- incentivizing, you know, the the sales leaders and, and also the sales teams to use it. Anything mm-hmm. else? Um Measuring it as as frequently, well, I say as frequently as you can, but measuring it frequently and having continual reviews with the leadership team, booking in calls with the vendor and with the leadership team to review the performance and any actions that could be taken to, yeah, potentially improve adoption if it's if it's waning anywhere. Um, but yeah, the main things are make sure you follow the vendor's process and make sure that your business leaders are incentivized to make sure that that product works. Case study success as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. If Definitely, you can get sponsorship, yeah. I'll uh, invoice you for that one later. Cool. Cheers. Thanks. Dad. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you for um, an ironic fact about yourself. Okay. Whilst you think about that, all right, I'll give you one for me. I'm actually a deaf DJ. Uh, <laughs> I only hear in one ear, right. which um, when uh, you know when I get in late at night and I'm in the doghouse with the missus. Is, is actually brilliant because I can, I've got an automatic kind of just roll on that, my one ear that hears and everything's silent. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So, um, yeah, an, an ironic fact about you, please, Steve. 
Um, so, I mean, I suppose a fact about me is in theory, I should be reasonably bright because I'm running what's, I'm hopefully not selling here, Dan, is a, a company going in the right direction. No, if that humble, wasn't too salesy for like you. Like um, but I've got a company hopefully going in the right direction and pretty much on a daily basis, my wife has this look of exasperation on her face. She's like, how are you so stupid and running <laughs> a company that's growing? So a very recent example, we've got a, a three month old child who you should obviously take very, very close care of. Um, and then uh, where we live, there's a, our, our block of flats, there's quite a busy door that opens and closes constantly. So we're taking the dogs out for a walk and I just put our son in his, um, in his little carry chair, whatever it's called, right in front of this incredibly busy door. She's like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm putting my shoes on. So you just put our son in front of a busy door. He's going to get smashed in the side of the head by this door. And I said, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, and I kind of have a daily interactions like that with my wife. So an ironic fact is, I'm in theory quite bright, but according to my wife, incredibly stupid. It's a great so. advert for uh, anyone that wants to work for you in the future. Yeah. <laughs> right, so finally, please, uh, a song that summarises your year in business, Steve. Um, so I'm going to go with Underdog by um, Kasabian. Uh, I'm going to try and say this again without selling. I feel under quite a lot of pressure. Not no, to no you, you, um, you can sell this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to because otherwise it won't make the playlist. Um, but I'd say, yeah, um, starting a business selling spreadsheets and then getting to where we are today is probably a bit of an underdog story. Um, not many people expect spreadsheet sales to go quite so well. But um, yeah. Quality. To, so. Let's uh, let's listen to it, please. Cheers, Dan. Underdog by Kasabian, released in 2009 on the RCA label. I've heard their sound described as a psychedelic rock or a space rock before. Um, if that's uh, up your street um, and you want it including in the monthly playlist, then uh, please vote now by putting your hand up and making some noise. Oh, that's a, that's a definite contender. That's a definite contender. Um, let me introduce the, uh, our next guest. Tom Winslade um, from Cube19, a bit of a background and bio to you, um, a professional cricketer, no, is that right? Yeah, did you not know? I, I didn't know that, no, um, from, uh, played for Surrey, uh, studied at Loughborough, uh, obviously renowned for its sports education, and joined Cube back in 2012 uh, as a graduate, as their first salesperson. Yeah. Um, 
Cube19 is a growth analytics platform that delivers uh, recruitment companies real-time data uh, and insights into all, uh, all individuals across the business. Um, it's founded by um, also a good friend of mine, Dan McGuire, who's regarded in the uh, tech rec space as kind of knowing what he's talking about, given that he'd uh, sold Broadbeam previously. So I, I guess you spotted an opportunity to get in at the right time with the right kind of mentorship and uh, and have done quite well out of that. So fast forward uh, to today and there's a team of 50 at Cube19, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Um, selling into um, the recruitment market all over the world. So welcome to the Recruitment Radio Podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, for those who aren't really familiar with Cube19, can you give a quick overview, including the biggest benefits uh, to recruiters who use the platform? Sure. So... <sighs> At Cube19, we believe that a recruitment agency grows at its most optimal rate when they optimize their two most important assets, which is the people on one hand and the data on the other side. So we're a platform that engages every single person within a recruitment business with real-time information that knows what their next best action should be, which hopefully should lead to their fastest routes of cash. So it's all about optimizing efficiency, getting people to engage with the CRM, which I think is a challenge across every single company. So CRM adoption is a big thing. And it's just about transparency of information getting people understanding the science behind what they're doing and hopefully off the back of that making more money well not hopefully they are okay can you prove it yes <laughs> the um so your <laughs> your sales touche your your sales cycle again involves you i guess spending a lot of time in meetings and discussions around what measures recruitment owners track in their business and what they could be tracking um and i kind of wondered um, what would you say are some of the most uh, insightful measures or metrics that are often overlooked that could actually, a uh, kind of golden nuggets that could link to some significant uh, upside for, for recruitment agency owners? It's an interesting point, actually, because when we look at our data, like Cube19 is not about, we're not game changing what data you're looking at. It's about marginal gains in the performance. So the metrics which you talk about here will be the ones which you track today but it's about looking at it from a slightly different perspective. So rather than just looking at the quantity of data, it's about the quality of that information at the same time. So I'll give you three examples. For those of you that do contract recruitment, this should be, if it's not, please do look into it because there's a lot of missed opportunity. Contractor redeployment. How many contractors that end their assignment that don't get extended, don't get redeployed by you as an organization, they go straight to your competition. So tracking contractor redeployment but also then looking at the data behind that, that we see on average that those that don't get extended, 50% of them don't even get contacted by the recruitment agency that's placed them in the first instance. So it's free money walking straight out of your business and going into your competition's pocket. So tracking that kind of metric is, is invaluable. It's free money. So that's the first one. Uh, any company that's trying to grow uh, a business and scaling fast, you should be looking at the ability of tracking new business versus repeat business. How much reliance is there on clients that you do business with over and over again versus ones that are new? And you've got to get the balance right between the two. Um, for those that work to S3, I'm sure you're familiar with coverage on jobs and contract versus perm. There's differences in that. So it's about how, how much quality uh, on the process is there. So perm, we could be, what's our optimal coverage? Free first interviews per role. Contract is about speed of delivery. So how many CVs are we sending in a specific time? So there's different data. You can go and look at it today, but it's just more about the qualitative element of that, so that information. Placing, uh, replacing individuals who know, like, and trust you already, right? Um, um, then you also said about uh, making sure there's a 
coverage on a role, meaning how many interviews you've had on a particular position? How much waste is it, Joe? We, we keep working roles and sending CVs for the sake of sending CVs. Let's focus on opportunities where we know good, good process, good engagement, good hiring manager. We've done a good job before. What does good look like? And let's repeat that process. And avoiding over overexposure to um, repeat clients versus new business, which actually is a key driver of enterprise value of, of any recruitment company. Especially in this market today, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? With the market, so. Exactly. Okay. Um, when um, setting budgets or forecasts or even strategy for the year ahead, um, there's always a lot of data capture that happens. And um, um, yeah, in, in your opinion, how can Q, uh, the Q platform or, or, or generally how can the collection of uh, an organization of, of that data help set the strategy for the future? I'd probably answer that in a different way. What's your strategy towards data that enables you to make strategic decisions off the back of that? Because I think when we when we speak to companies, I think the recruitment industry is quite immature with how they view data, how they view technology, how they view platforms. And I think that those with a clear strategy with what they're trying to achieve are those that typically see the best results. So listen, we live in a data-driven world. If you're not using data to your advantage, you will get left behind at some stage. So for those companies that have a clear strategy towards data, they will have better CRM adoption, first and foremost, which means they're capturing better information, which means strategically they'll be able to make better decisions off the back of that. So I'd flip that on its head and say, what's your strategy towards capturing the information first and foremost? And what, what do you want to see off the back of having that within your business? What does a, a good data strategy look like then? What, what are some of the headlines that you would need to address if you wanted to set one? It's making sure the relevant information is delivered to the right person. So every person should be engaged with information. We see that there's a lot of, sorry, Steve, spreadsheets. Again, spreadsheets are delivering information, but they're looking back at what's happened in the past. And we can't really check, well, we can't change what's happened in the past. So we need to make sure that we're delivering the right information to the right person within the right time frame, so they know what their next action should be, which, again, drives better performance and better decision-making. Okay. Um, bit of an open question, but kind of looking forward as you're, analytics platform likes to do not just measuring the here and now but but looking forward in the future um what opinions do you have on how technology might shape the future landscape of the recruitment industry well listen we we position ourselves as a growth analytics platform and growth doesn't just mean bums on seats growth means increasing our contract a bit by x percent it means that we want to increase our nfi by x percent so technology should enable your business to scale in a more profitable way. Because if you get your technology right, it's about efficiency and performance. So you could be a 30-man agency that delivers right technology, which means you don't have to add 10 seats to achieve your revenue objective. Everyone's doing everything a bit more efficiently, which means having better conversations, better relationships, cutting the, the wastage away, for like the wasted time of doing laborious tasks to recruiters. So that's really, I view, how automation AI is going to happen. It's then how do you have a strategy around making that work for your business? And, and how does Cube as well and, and your platform um, utilize maybe some of the advances in AI? Or how does that come into your platform? Are you, are you clear on that? We, we have an stages, yeah, yeah, 100%. It's kind so, of all new, right? Well, so if you look at um, what, what we define as like a good tech stack for businesses, you've got your, your CRMs, so your Bullhorns and a few of the other partners. You've got your source breakers, your Sonovates, your uh, Volcanics and people like that. So This is the part where uh, you name drop half the room. Right? Again, not selling, not selling. Um, it, 
if I, my advice would be as a recruitment leader, get as much information of that theme back into your CRM as possible. Because if it's in one place, it means that you can analyze it moving forward. So, um, you know, our view is that if the data is there to analyze and the data quality is good, our view is at Cube19, we're going to be pushing alerts to recruiters, which take the decision making out of it. Say, you should be doing this now. Get on the phone to this person and have that conversation. We're not telling you what conversation to have necessarily, because that's where the skill in the recruiter is. But pushing that kind of information, real actionable insights to the recruiter, that's where we're trying to drive our platform towards. Got it. Okay, great stuff. Let's uh, let's take a little bit of a, a lighter uh, approach and just discuss a, a bit about um, the uh, the fun culture at Cube Nineteen. I'm I'm kind of I'm meaning the the amount of time that um, that the uh, staff there seem to frequent. Um, bars um you know watering holes etc so it's got to be pretty uh, pretty good laugh working at cube from from what i understand so i'm going to ask you um to maybe share a a cheeky story a bit of a funny story from a night out um i don't want to get anyone sacked um and i certainly don't want to get um uh, any of the Maguire brothers into trouble here as well. So, do you know, please watch what you say. But yeah, just sh share a funny story from a night out for us. Are you saying that data data is a heavy conversation? I first just, and foremost, I, or? yeah, I got bored. Oh, with okay, it. fine. Yeah. Um, uh, funny story. Well, actually, the Maguires were involved in this particular trip. So it was a stag do that wasn't actually a stag do because the marriage was never actually due to happen. But the trip still went ahead. So it was a, a Barcelona weekend. Um, <laughs> should we just say that there was a few recruitment people involved? So naturally, people got a bit carried away. Um, started in Barcelona, ended in Ibiza uh, a few days after the return flight was supposed to happen. Very spontaneous. Um, I'll leave it at that because, yeah. Does any work ever get done at Cube19? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I've been there seven years, so hopefully we do a few deals every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. Um, so... Um, a song that summarizes your year in business, please, Tom. Um, I want, well, it's a year in business. I would say, well, uh, just in general, like my outlook on music is, well, as you know, we share a similar interest, but um, quite a positive outlook, um, euphoric. I like my house dance music. So I've picked a track which hopefully people can resonate with, whether you like a late night out or just um, a good time. So quite a tenuous link on your uh, year in business then. You've just gone for a track you really like. Well, yeah? well, listen, I think, you know, everyone should keep a positive outlook on stuff. So, you know, I think we're in an uncertain time. So let's just let's just stay happy and, and stick with it. Let's maintain a positive outlook for business all year round. Yeah, let's go with that. Exactly. That's, that's right. So um, what's your track? You've got to announce it before we play it. It's um, a track called Benediction by a record label called Hot Natured. Keith, you like that, don't you? Let's go.
Benediction by Hot Natured. That's uh, Jamie Jones and Lee Foss, who own the Hot Creations uh, record label, uh, on which the track was released in 2012. If a lovely slice of Deep House floats your boat and you want that on the playlist, um, please vote now. I don't actually care. I like that. I think that's the best choice. Um, so it's going on. But what I would say, actually, it's been good having, uh, you know, a, a pop choice, a rock choice and a dance choice. So a, a nice segue from the audience there. Just to close, I, I guess it would be unfair of me to ask for a track from everyone else without nominating one myself. Um, reflecting on my own year, um, I'd say that my most endearing memories uh, this summer were, were to take um, my, my wife and kids across to do a charity project in Peru. Um, I'm very grateful actually for uh, a lot of people in this room because the Power Hive supported it through the Amoria Bond Charitable Trust. We, went, we managed to raise um, about 16K um, to, to build a soup kitchen, which currently feeds 150 uh, adults and children. Um, so, Actually, in we were living in that community, um, and uh, we were staying in a, in a children's uh, refuge. And the kids in there, there's about 50 of them, and they're from some of the most broken homes in the community. There's about 60,000 people living in a shanty town on on uh, this mountainside. And so, yeah, a lot of the kids in in the refuge um, are from you know, backgrounds with bad domestic violence, social problems, or just extreme poverty. And so, you know, my kids are playing with these kids. There's no language, you know, they don't speak each other's language. Um, they're playing and they're laughing and, I, you know, and I just, I was watching them and I just grabbed my Bose speaker and, uh, and, and basically started playing some music and a really magical dance off kind of broke out. It was kind of one of those, one, one, of, one of those areas where you're just observing stuff. And I literally had goosebumps and, um, it reminded me, actually, that despite, you know, all the success, all the dreams of people, you know, ambitions and, and you know, goals and wanting to grow businesses and all these kind of serious stuff, that actually we've got to enjoy the journey. We've got to take time out to be present because in that present moment, those kids had absolutely nothing yet were the happiest kids probably on the planet, right? So uh, one of the tracks I played um, in that little um, soiree in that afternoon was uh, an old favorite of mine uh, by the Jackson Fives called uh, Shake Your Body Down to the Ground. So uh, my nomination of my track um, for, a, for an end of year Christmas party, I've kind of chosen a bit more of an up-tempo mix by one of my favorite um, UK house producers, um, Joey Negro, okay, Dave Lee. Um, yeah, and this is, uh, so, so to close off, I just, well, first of all, I'll say thank you for my panel. Um, thanks for the audience for taking part. Um, So to see you out for a, for a great festive period, this is uh, Lady Aya with Shake Your Body. Shake your body now to the crowd, let's dance, let's shout, shake your body now to the crowd, let's dance, let's shout, shake your body now to the crowd.